When you're trading options, Fidelity has just what you need with straightforward but powerful tools to help you select a strategy and execute your ideas. And they offer a wide range of information and insights to help simplify your trading experience. Have a question? Ask it live during their small classes and coaching sessions. Need information? Check out their educational videos, articles, and webinars. See why it's easy to trade options your way at Fidelity. Start now at fidelity.com options. One o'clock on the East Coast. Honestly, Danny, the only coast that really matters. <laughs> now I'm excited. I'm excited every day. You know this. Yep. But I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited today because it's you there, me here. We're sitting next to each other, as you can see. Yep. Dan, who again deserves time for sure, works extraordinarily hard. So Dan went to see the Pearl Jam on Friday in Dallas, Fort Worth. Yep. Then he flew home and he went to see Foo Fighters. Yes. On Sunday at Asbury Park. And then this morning got on a plane and went to Austin, Texas to see the Pearl Jam. The Pearl Jam again. I don't know. I mean, Eddie Vedder has to understand. He's Dan, a groupie. He's, he's a super a, fan. He's a groupie. Would that freak you out? Like if people came to see you do market call on the tape, <laughs> would that freak you out? Yeah. It would freak me out as well. Anyway, this is Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Today's Market Call brought to you by CME Group. Danny, that's where risk meets opportunity. Speaking of risk. A lot of both in the market right now. A lot of both. Now, people would be like, oh, my OMG, you and Danny together, that's not good. You two just sort of feed off each other. One or twin powers activate, form of a bear? No. Twin a negative times a negative equals a positive. Is a positive. A negative times a negative equals a positive. Let's go. It's a positive and a positive yes, is a positive. Exactly. So let's go for a second and let's just get right into it because you put... If you're not following Danny Moses on Twitter, you're doing Twitter wrong. You should follow Danny. You tweet. Well, I don't some, tweet that much, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, that it's even more important because when you do tweet, it has meaning as opposed to a dipshit like myself who just tweets all kinds of useless. Well, you stuff. get involved with people. You respond to. I people. do. I, I do don't a little know how bit. You do. I don't know why. A little you do bit. That. Yeah. Anywho, you the tweet you put it was a Wall Street Journal article, and you are seeing a lot of similarities in terms of what's going on now and what's going on years ago. And before we get into that. Right before our very eyes, uh, as we're in day one of this Fed meeting, God only knows what's going to happen there. But, you know, all these inputs are just grinding higher. So let's just quickly talk about, for me, what sticks out like a sore thumb are yields. Ten-year yields now approaching 4.35%. People will say that's a good sign. What say you, Danny Moses? Depends what the curve is doing. If mm -hmm. the, you know, the curve was steepening. Um, I would be okay with it, but it's really not. I think the two years approaching 510. So I'm a big believer that over time, 10 year yields will actually come down. But I think that's going to coincide with the market, obviously coming all right, in a so, little bit. All right, so. so let's stop for one second, because yeah. I understand what you're saying. So here's how I look at it. The only way in my, this is just my opinion. The only way the 10 year yields will go down in a meaningful way is on the back of a precipitous market sell-off where there's a flight to perceived quality in the form of one, the U.S. dollar, and two, the U.S. bond market, which will drive rates. Is that the way you see it? Or are rates just going to go down because we're at levels where we shouldn't be right now? The way I see it is a deep breath moment where mm -hmm. the equity market does come in, risk gets readjusted, right? Risk gets repriced, and for the time being, they buy treasuries. Now, to your point, supply and demand mm -hmm. and risk of the U.S. rating and all that stuff going on, I'm not concerned with that. I just think from a 
side-by-side perspective, I would rather own treasuries here than the majority of equities that are out there. That's it. It's pretty simple. That's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. Now I'll sort of take the other side here, right? And I, I, we agreed, I think to a point, and then I think we sort of diverged a bit. I think yields will continue to go higher. And I think, as you said, it's a supply demand thing. I think the market is demanding a higher yield to buy our debt. And I think that's going on Globally. Now, maybe there will be this flight to quality, but let me just just give me indulge me for one Please. second. If yields continue, let's say 10-year yields, which are now 433-ish, if they push up to four and a half, somewhere between four and a half and four and three quarters, what is that, what is that signifying and what do you think it means for equities? If that were to happen and sustain there, mm-hmm. right, then I guess maybe there's people that believe that we're gonna have a, you know, some type of easy landing or soft landing, so to speak, because we're going to be able to absorb it. And maybe that is going to be the case, but that would be why I think it would be there. I just don't see that happening. If that does happen, I just have a very hard time seeing equities move higher in conjunction with yields moving higher. You're seeing the impact right now in real time. Forget the lag effect is over. It's here now. Like things are happening in real time, whether it's mortgages or loans, whatever, things are getting repriced. And the 10 year has been kind of the fixture from a funding perspective, which is more sh- you know on the short end, right? All, all these securitization things that are occurring, things are backing up mm-hmm. again, right? So the cost of capital has been moving higher. So now you need really good economic growth to absorb that cost of capital. So I've said all along, it's what's a stock picker's market previous to the kind of this year for the last 18 months prior, kind of the end of 21 and all of 22. I think we're now in a bond picker's market. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean there's corporate credit names which you can own. So when everything, if everything gets thrown out, let's say on the HYG or the JNK, which I don't think are great proxies anyway, but look within those, right? Of the hundreds of bonds that are kind of in there. They're very top heavy, but at the end of the day, there's going to be stuff that you can own. So I'm a big believer in the, in the bond picking that's going to be occurring. And that will happen in conjunction, I believe, if you are right, and treasury yields move higher because so, they're priced off of that on a relative. So we're looking here at the HYG, I believe. And as you can see, I no mean, man's land. doesn't move. Yeah. Uh, you know, here we are. I think it's probably trading 74 and three quarters ish. I mean, it's basically been sideways now since the spring. I, I would imagine that has a lot to do with the Fed coming in and the treasury coming in, effectively backstopping Silicon Valley Bank and a lot of these small banks. I think the market took that as some sort of sigh of relief. There's not going to be a credit event. I think, in my opinion, that's why this HYG isn't moving. I just think they sort of prolong the inevitable. Yeah, but you also have within the HYG, it's comprised of, there's energy stocks yes, in there well, that are probably mm-hmm. doing very well. So why on the HYG when you can go select on energy yeah. stocks? But guy, the one thing that's not being really talked about enough because we're holding our breath here is oil and nat gas continue to move higher. Oil especially is stubbornly high, nat gas a lot, a lot more volatile. But that's a tax. That is a straight out Fed rate hike. That is a straight out tax. That affects everybody. It's regressive, as we say. It actually affects everybody kind of the same, well, and it should. So, you know, you bring up a good point. You know who gets screwed on this thing? The middle and the lower end of things. So the rich people don't give a shit. You know, they'll they'll go to their cocktail party this weekend and they'll laugh about how much they're paying for gas. It's a it's a joke. It's a punchline, and that's unfortunate. But for everybody else, they're feeling the effects of this, and you can see it, Danny, in terms of what's going on with these dollar stores. I mean, Dollar Gen, Dollar Tree, Five Below. Those stocks are trading at multi-year lows. It used to be people traded down $2 gen from whatever. Now they're trading down from dollar gen and dollar shit. <laughs> Where are they trading down to? And I don't think it's coincidence, and you brought this up a while ago, that Walmart, and I'm, I didn't see it today, but I know for a fact that that's a stock that is making not a 52-week high, but an all-time high, and here's the chart in Walmart. So this, and I hate the term because everybody uses it, but this bifurcation 
and retailers. I don't think it tells a particularly rosy story right now. No, it's the haves and the have nots. Mm -hmm. Again, stock picking. Again, you can look, you can't, you don't want to just generally own the XRT. You see what that's doing. But I want to bring up another sector that we talked about last week on the podcast, which is the JETS, the JETS, right? I can the, almost both charts look the same. By the way, they're funny. Both faces. charts look the same. Yes. They were up a little bit and now you can just sell them all day long. But on JTS, because I think the airlines, right, is so the most always a tradable group. Mm -hmm. You and I may disagree, but I don't think you can ever invest in airlines longer term, right? hundred percent trade agree with them. That. They do not look good. No. They are going to bear the brunt potentially of an extended consumer and high oil prices. There's no worse combination, right, that exists, right, for them. They don't have the same. They have unions. They've gotten through a lot of their labor issues, unlike the auto companies, which we can talk about. But I just don't see, you know, a, it's pretty plain and simple how it can affect the price of oil. That very sensitive to things like that. So. Let's pull up a Delta chart, Stephen Rafis and or Jacob, um, who do an amazing job. So real time, we'll take a look at Delta Airlines. And if you could go back and do a little longer term chart, I bring this up because 20 30 on fast money and on this show. And if you look, we thought into the spring that there's a very good chance that Delta would trade up to forty nine dollars, which was a prior high. And if we could sort of broaden this out real quick, you'll see what I'm talking about. We thought it would fail there. And there's your chart. So there's that prior high that we saw in the spring, I believe, of 2021. Here's your levels now. We stopped basically spot on. Pulling back. You just said you might see a sort of a low 30 handle on this. I don't disagree with that. But to your earlier point, these are great trading vehicles. And I think when it looks the worst, when crude oil is probably either side of triple digits and everybody's talking about the death of the airlines, the same way people were saying the airlines are never going lower again a couple months ago, that's when you probably step in here. So there's a trade to come. But here at, I don't know where we are, 39 and a half or so, I think we're in no man's land in Delta. I agree. And look at XHB, if we could bring that chart up, if you don't mind. Yes. I think that's an important one to kind of look at. Kind of, I think, a few weeks ago on Market Call, I had mentioned it to Dan right before he came on air. That looks very, very toppy to me. Mm -hmm. I realize it's not just builders that are in there. I'm well aware of that. But again, I'm finding it hard, right? Other than within the kind of the sports gambling sector and some other sectors that have their own mac, you know, micro events that are kind of occurring there, cannabis as well, on the long side, that these big old school sectors, right, are, are going to be are tough to own here, as I think we are in a part of the cycle where things are starting to turn down, guy. Okay. So you look at the XHB chart. What's interesting here is home builders, the individual names, Toll Brothers, Pulte Homes, Lennar, DHI, all those stocks were making not 52-week highs, all-time highs. And, and we actually were pretty bullish on those names. Again, supply-demand imbalances. But we said for a while that at some point, interest rates were going to sort of tip this group over. There was going to be this point of diminishing marginal returns where rates want to get to a level where the whole thing sort of stops. And now you're seeing some of the home builder numbers coming out and some of the data around the edges sort of softening up a bit. These stocks could be in trouble. You mentioned XHB. That's a classic double top. But you, know, you look at these names, which have been impervious to the broader market, now they're falling victim. So I think you're sort of spot on there. And I think it is in a large degree rate sensitive. It's extraordinarily rate sensitive at this point. It's finally showing those things. I want to take a look quickly at SMH. This is a semiconductors ETF because it's going to look hauntingly similar to what we just saw in the XHB. Massive double top here. Now, these are very heavily weighted towards a couple names, but look at that chart, Danny, and you trade. I mean, you see this Look at where we topped out at basically in the fall. Look at where, and that's by by the way, the fall, I think, of 2022. And now look at where we are here. I mean, this is a classic move to levels that 
are unsustainable. Now, the question is, does this give it up? The bigger question is, though, what's going to be the driver? And NVIDIA, which I don't want to necessarily play stock market, but if you pull up an NVIDIA chart, we'll do it for a second. Here's a stock that reported earnings uh, three or so weeks ago. In the after hours, the stock was trading 516. I know that because I was sitting on a set of fast money and there was this enthusiasm around it like it was never going down again. T total addressable market, blah, blah, blah. That stock has now gone down 15.15%. And you still have this huge gap, as you can see, on the downside. God forbid, Danny, something were to happen between China and Taiwan. This stock goes down 25% in a heartbeat. And that, I would ask you, what does that portend for the broader market, do you think? All right, there's a lot there. I'm thinking, there is a lot there. I'm I, sorry. I'm thinking I'm to the, hold on, in honor of Bob Barker, rest in peace. Mm. Well, it's, I'm yeah. thinking of one of those great games that he had. You remember the guy that was Plinko? climbing? No, Alps. Yes, the Alps. Oh, A lot of these charts look like that. And that if you misprice, if you guess wrong, you don't get within the dollar amount, you fall off of the cliff. Yes. So I just wanted to bring that up as you showed me all these charts, which are now making me even more bearish than I was when I got I here. But to, I listen, didn't mean to do that. Semis are very cyclical, right? And then normally it's not as macro as it is micro. What do, we, what do I mean by that? This AI trade, which is real, right? it's still hard to kind of quantify what it means. It means a lot to the space, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it means it sucked up a lot in NVIDIA and some of these other companies that are in there. But how, how patient are investors going to be, right? Certainly beat by 4 billion, add 6 billion here, this and the other. We're talking about hundreds of billions of market caps, which have been added. So if that's your leader, right? And that's the one that people watch and everyone kind of owns it because it's a great company. I love NVIDIA. It's a great company. It's AI. It's in a great space. I don't disagree with any, with any of, that. of that. Everything has its price. Exactly. And I've been saying for a long time, every day is a new underwriting opportunity on the buy side and on the sell side. And I find it hard to convince me that I need to own that right now. I need to own that right now. I don't. I don't think so. It's not. Not even. Not even because of the chart, right? I mean, listen. The CEO, maybe not a big deal, has sold seventy million dollars worth of stock. Congratulations. Seventy million on its old market cap from a year ago would have seemed like a lot. So let's not lose sight of that for here. You guy, mentioned so. you wouldn't own that, but you know you were a Johnny Carson fan back in the day, right? Sure. And he used to put Swami. That. He exactly. did the thing. The thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last week. You were exactly that person because you said something's about to happen in that guess. Question from oh, Richard yeah. Hens. Richard. On the tape, Danny commented he thought Natty was going to rip. Could you explain why? By the way, if we could throw up a Nat gas chart, you will see that's exactly what it's doing. We're today. going into the shoulder months, right? We're in the, we're going into the restocking, right? Um, shorter term. Right, shorter term. Inventory levels have been low, right? The rig count has been low. I don't know what it looks like right now in, you know, in Europe as far as that goes. I know we, again, I'm not going to get into nat gas trading forward month, contango, backwardation, all this stuff. It just felt like it was going to have to catch up to where oil has been. There's always been a ratio kind of between nat gas and oil, and I just felt it was kind of a being left behind. So I believe nat gas was, what, 250? I think it's up to 275 now, 280 or something like that. But I was saying by the underlyings, Peabody. Yeah which is the coal company. So what are the alternatives, you know, what are the alternatives to kind of oil? Look what nuclear has been doing. Look at, I mean, look at, look at CCJ, Cameco, bring that up for a second. Look at uranium, which is U dot U, whatever these things may be, right? So there are uh, things, see, I'm bullish on things that you can own. I listen, things, okay? I'm with you. CCJ has been a monster. By the way, yeah. I don't know if Vinny's watching right now or Porter, I don't know what they do at noon Eastern time. They might be watching. They could. Time? Is it noon Eastern time yeah. or one o'clock? That or counting their winnings. In, one o'clock Eastern. Yeah. I mean, they're counting their winnings. Yeah. But th this is this is a sector that they've talked about for a while. And this has been 
lower left, upper right, and there's probably still room. By in the way, days. the balance sheets of these companies too within the sector because they so, were forced to have better balance right. sheets. That's correct. That's so exactly. anyway, it's a good sector to be in. See, bullish no, on no, something. but it's interesting, and we talk about this, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here all the time, but. You know, I've said this, I'm curious as to your thoughts. I think the best thing that happened to the entire space, energy, new, the ESG, I think it forced these companies to just operate better. They got their balance sheets in order. They were better operators. And now that this sort of environment lends itself to what they're doing, these stocks, are, I hate to use the term, but it's sort of a hair trigger. I mean, these things can move and we're starting to see it now. I think you're going to see, I talked about this at the beginning of this year, M&A within the energy sector. I think it's happened. I think it's going to continue to happen. Now, listen, you have two IPOs that have been priced correctly and mm -hmm. successful in the last week. Cart today. Which I think priced at uh, what thirty high end of the range, high end of the range, thirty whatever. It traded up to forty two. It's back down a little bit, right? Um, and we've seen some of these other names price. So capital markets are kind of open for certain things. So without with trying to be bullish here, there's always a price. With all you can always own certain things, and so I'm I'm with you 100. Let's take a look at the S and P chart because you've obviously you, you outlined a trade a while ago, and it it was sort of going nowhere, but now we're starting to sort of move in your in your favor. And I know you made a bet with Tom Lee about the month of September where we would uh, close. September morn feels like a Neil Diamond month, doesn't it? You, you know, yeah. Can you do that again? Yeah, I'm not doing it again. It's but so it feels good. Like I mean, it really is remarkable yeah. how you do that. Yeah. But we're starting to give a little bit up here. And again, I ha I started the show talking about yields. You know, I'm the one of the people that believe that everything is predicated off global bond markets, but markets starting to give up a little bit here. And I wonder, is it a head fake into day two of the Fed meeting, or is this sort of anticipating the potential for the Fed to do something on the terms of, I think the market is pricing in less than an 8% chance of a 25 uh, basis point hike. There's a lot going on. Yes, the Fed's tomorrow. BOE is Thursday. Mm -hmm. Bank of Japan, which may end NERP. Negative interest rate policy on Thursday. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. I made the I put this on at 4500 on the futures. I think it's 4450, 4460. It hasn't yeah. really moved that much. Well, My stop out was 4600. It did not get there. I think it made 4540, 4550 and starting to cover kind of 4400 and then 4300 because if the Fed does start to indicate that they're done, which I think we know that they're done, that they, that they may cut, you'll have a rally because you just you just will. But think about what's been happening in the last couple of weeks. A small nugget I'll give you here. BMO, right? Bank of Montreal, right, which is a big auto lender, both in Canada and the U.S., pulled out of indirect lending. What does that mean? They they give money to the dealerships so the dealerships can go out and then give loans to their clients who want to mm -hmm. buy cars, right? And so that's a, they pulled out of the market, right? They're a big, big player. You're watching kind of the loan growth getting cut. You're watching kind of those pullback and retrenchment credit lines kind of being cut. That's why I th what I think is more important as a result of what the Fed has been doing. And so when I forwarded that on article that I put this morning on Twitter that David Wessel wrote in October of 2007. This is what is the recipe for a recession? Two of the three have obviously been met. We know that. People are so focused on housing's better this time. It is better this time. The consumer balance sheet for housing is better this time. There's not many as variable rate mortgages resetting, but you know what that means, guy? You don't get the flip. You don't get the benefit of when the Fed starts cutting mm -hmm. of the refi cycle because it doesn't exist. The problem is not on the consumer balance sheet this cycle as far as we're thinking. The problem is on corporate and it's in, it's, in, it's in CRE, commercial real estate. And in real time, we're seeing those things default, right? And those are big drivers of tax revenues in various states, big drivers of jobs. So listen, unemployment has one direction to go. Is it going to go straight up? No. 
But I think there's a lot in that chart here. That's it. Let's pull up that Bloomberg headline because it's interesting they use terms. And I'm not a headline writer. I don't write stories and stuff. But a resilient U.S. economy, you know, I read that and I see the word resilient. And I understand what they mean by that. Resilient in the form of the unemployment rate is still below 4%. It's stubborn as hell. By the way, great. It's, that's wonderful. The consumer still seems to be spending. That's great. All those things. But is it resilient or is it a vulnerable U.S. economy? Because I would change that word. I mean, I would change the adjective for sure. And I'll say this, Danny, and you follow these things. You know, California sort of leads the country by a couple months, three, four months. Their unemployment rate, I think, is either side of four and a half percent now. And historically, that has led the U.S. by, again, a few months. So I think you're going to see that trend continue. But the fallacy of the Federal Reserve that is praying for unemployment rates to go higher, they would never say that, by the way, but I guarantee they want it to go higher. It makes their job easier. The same way they thought they can control the inflation that they begged for, which they obviously couldn't control, is the same way they think they can control the unemployment rate, which once that genie's out of the bottle and once that starts to cascade, they won't be able to stop that either. Thoughts on that? Listen, you could just substitute the word economy for stock market in that, because at the end of the day, I think the wealth effect or the people's feelings, they're using that as a barometer. They're using that as as a thermometer gauge, right? They're using because the stock market's held up. I believe that's that's, right. it's that simple. And I think people have found comfort in the fact that it's a discounting mechanism, the stock market, which it is. If that's OK, that means the economy's OK. This is exactly again, not to harp on what I tweeted out today. October 2007, the market proceeded to trade down 50 percent and it did not recover for six years from where it was. That was right at the beginning of the rate cut cycle, right? That was right at the beginning. And the thought was soft landing, no landing. What happened? QE1, QE2, QE3, QE4, right? We're on the other side of that. Hold on. So a resilient U.S. economy, I think it's a resilient U.S. stock market. Has exactly. 100%, I really believe that's 100%. what it is. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree so with you. So if it goes against us, my point is that it can, it can unwind here pretty And I've said this for a while, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I believe this to be true, that all, all consumer confidence is, in my opinion, is an overlay of the S&P 500. Not to suggest that everybody owns stocks because they don't. However, when people see that the stock market grinds higher each day, they say to themselves, well, shit, the stock market's going higher. The economy must be good. And that asshole that lives next door just bought his Acura or Tesla or Mercedes. I know what he or she does for a living. I do it just about as well. I'm going to do the same thing. It feeds on itself. But if Dan Rather or Peter Jennings or Cronkite or one of these people leads the evening news with- It'll be tough for Cronkite right now to lead it. It would be tough. Yeah, yeah. But if they lead with U.S. stock market down three and a half, that's the lead story. And it's the lead story for a couple of days. And people say, wait a second, what's going on? Why is the stock market down? Maybe I shouldn't go to Starbucks. Maybe I shouldn't take that vacation. Maybe I shouldn't buy that car. Well, people are changing right now. They're spending. And that feeds on changing. itself. They're changing right now as it relates to oil. And I think you mentioned Walmart before, right? I think there's a level where Walmart, it's, 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 it's not going to go up much more, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I like the company. I like the stock. Pays a dividend. Has a big buyback. Safe play. But at some point, right? Valuation. People just, valuation and that's oil. And that's way. oil, right? And oil is, obviously, you can fill your gas up at, you know, there. But- but, you know, it's it's oil, right? So whether it's Costco that you has the gas station, whatever it might be, benefit from that. But it's going to eat into the consumer, and it's happening right now. We've right seen before, that already, And so. by the way, throw diesel in there, which yeah. people don't talk. Pippa Stevens did a piece on Squawk Box yesterday, I think, on CNBC, talking about the price of diesel fuel. And if you think about yep. the transports in this country, things run on diesel. Diesel goes higher. Either you pass on those costs to the consumer or you eat it yourself. Either way, it ain't particularly good. Carl Keaton Nia, we like Q. He put up a tweet about, and I don't know how you feel about this, but UAW, the strike. Yeah. 
I don't know necessarily what it means in terms of the stock market, but I think this is what it means in terms of what's going on in this country. Workers are demanding more, a lot of different things. UAW, work, they want 32-hour work week. They want a, some guarantees they're not going to get. But the crux of all this always comes down to wages. And it's not just the UAW. So with FedEx, we've seen it across UP, across the board and all different, seeing it with the writer's strike. All different sectors are basically pushing back because they need to have a livable wage. And they've been left behind for years. That speaks to exactly what we've been talking about, the cost of living. And people are finally saying enough. And I don't know how long this lasts. I think it lasts longer than people think. My sense is this can last into November because UAW seems to be pretty well dug in. And then you have on the flip side, Jim Farley from Ford saying, hey, 40% raises over the course of however many years will bankrupt us in two years. I think they countered that 40% with 20%. I think the UAW came down to 36%. There's a huge gap there. Yeah. I don't know how it rectifies itself. I think it's somehow it gets done in the low 30s. But what is that? What does it mean? Right. It means a hit to margin on the exact corporate level. Forget about inflation and passing on and rising wages. This is really bottom up stuff. Every sector is different. Every single company is different. Right. And so they're trying to get 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 what they can get without blowing the thing up, without blowing the thing up. So it certainly would have a hit to the market. It certainly would have a hit to GDP, obviously. But again, people think ahead of that and they may think to themselves, well, you know what, guy? In a perverse way, Fed's going to cut as a result of things like that. I'm just saying, yeah. that's how the market right. prices so, itself. So, so. so hold on a second. Because so yeah. you mentioned 07, okay? And you mentioned at the beginning of the rate cut cycle, that's when the market started to go pear-shaped. But the Fed, they were in a position to cut then. They had no inflation. But inflation, the- is, inflation is reaccelerating now. I don't know. They're sort of in a really difficult position. If things go pear-shaped and they start to cut, that inflation genie, which, by the way, is out of the bottle, will continue to fly like Barbara Eden. Yep. Thoughts on that? Well, there was an inflection point back then where it was pretty evident in 2000, late, late 2005 and during 2006 that things weren't great, right? We knew that things were already kind of happening. What happened? The market rallied kind of into the first rate hike, uh, sorry, rate cut, mm-hmm. right? You saw that in August and September. When I sent that article, is dated October 25th, the market was basically at that kind of cycle high. They'd already cut 50 basis points on the way to cut to keep cutting. So my point is that people on the look back felt at that point that we could manage this. It was fine. And to be frank, no one knew, not even us, the extent of the leverage in the system and these products that were kind of well, out there. That's, that's not what's true. different. You knew. No, we you knew, guys, but we didn't know the amount. I'm mean, honestly, okay, we didn't realize. I mean, you at least you you didn't know the We magnitude. thought Lehman was a short. We didn't yeah. think they would go bankrupt. Fair enough. But 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 my point is this. People will counter and they'll say, well, this isn't that. I agree. But everything kind of rims. I think we've got a little bit of 1987, a little bit of 2001. A little bit of early a little 70s. Bit of, a little bit of everything. Yeah. We have, What's that song that, that Amanda, tell me in my ear, that bit little of, bit of somebody. That in song, my mind. By the way, that song sucks. Yeah, it does. It doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, somebody will tell me what it is or put it in the chat. Anyway, nobody cares. You mentioned a dollar. Let's put up a dollar chart. U.S. dollar going higher. People think, well, that's a good thing if you live here in the United States. By the way, that is mitigating inflation here to a point. Your dollar goes higher. Your buying power should basically be helped a little bit. But the dollar going higher in terms of what's going on globally is not necessarily a good thing. It's a bit of a wrecking ball. We had Peter Bookbar talked about that on our podcast. And you've been talking about Jap- Japan and what's going on there. And they kept things you know, good for them. They did this experiment. It worked for however many years it worked. You could say that it worked. Begging for inflation, but then they get inflation. What's happening now? Things are starting to unravel. The yen is weakening at an alarming clip. And the Bank of Japan, 
you know, they came in an interview in a few months ago that worked for about a week and a half. Then they came in and jawboned earlier, I thought late last week, earlier this week. We'll see. Things are getting away from them there. And I think it has ramifications for what's going on here. Yeah, this article yesterday about what's kind of replacing this yen carry trade, right? It's the one in China, right? It's all, some of these other you know, emerging currencies that are kind of out there. It's kind of been replaced. So listen, everything's kind of at the point where it's going to pick a side. The dollar is going to either go considerably higher here or fall off a cliff. The mm -hmm. yen's either going to go off Let's a put cliff up a yen or, chart. or we have a yen and, chart. They're going to come and support it, right? Because we're going to see this in the their Bank of Japan's meeting, you know, on, on Thursday. I mean, look at that thing. So it's flirting around that 148 level, 147.50. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where they jawbone yeah, last 150 week. 150 is a line in the sand. And I think that speaks to the fall-ish. ish. Yes. And so we'll see. Again, they began QE. And I think it's ending there right? In terms of kind of this, the game, we're already doing quantitative tightening, right? They have NERP, right? They have negative interest rate policies still. That may end on Thursday. Again, I think that's probably priced in a bit to the market, but again, why should people care? And one other thing I just want to mention, because I've been mentioning this and it actually did not happen. So the tick data, which is foreign ownership of US treasuries, mm -hmm. right? They own, I don't know, 1.1 trillion in Japan. They, they've been selling a little bit over time. It was 1.4 trillion a couple of years ago. The data for July comes out literally guy on a seven-week lag basis was basically flat. China sold some more, but mm -hmm. Japan was flat. And I would have thought, and I still might think that maybe we'll see August when they, what are they selling to basically go and support? If they do their decide currency. to support their yen, they will have to repatriate dollars back. And so again, Japanese banks, not the worst kind of place to be unless things completely unravel over there, right? At SMF. G is kind of one of the things you can own. Over and that's there, what, so. and, that, and listen, Buffett was talking MUFG, about that. Yeah, one, so yeah. I mean, he was early with that. Bring up well. a chart of um, SMFG here. If maybe. we can, throw it up. Sumitomo Mitsui. Um, but anyway, but point is, that, again, things you can own. See, I'm being bullish here, but that those stocks are basically now, if you go back on the charts, it's not a coincidence, right? If you go back, I don't know how long that chart goes, but if you go back 10 years. back, I think a year and a half right, but if you keep go back even longer on that chart, you'll see it. Like where we were at the beginning, all the way left, right? Where the, What year that was. But that's kind of the policy, right? Here it is, all the way through. We've run the course. And so we'll see what happens, but you can see. I know what you're bullish on. Gold. Thank you. So you're reading my mind. I looked you in the eyes. You saw into it's my actually brain. the most bullish in this. So let's put up a gold chart. And gold, you know, been. it's interesting. Now, people say, well, you guys are crazy about gold, blah, blah, blah. You just have the tinfoil, which I still don't know what that means. But yeah, central banks continue to buy gold. You're gonna, you can go back. You can go and look, read the articles. It's happening right before our very eyes. Gold traded down, held the moving average. Moving average is still trending higher. Gold is going higher in the face of a dollar that's going higher as exactly. well. In the face of- And oil is going higher in the face of a dollar Interest rates higher. going higher as yeah. well, which typically is not friendly to gold. Something is going on here. I'm convinced of it. And you think there's this day of reckoning coming as well. It probably all coincides. Like dollar yen at 150, 10-year yields, four and a half. All this stuff sort of happens at once. But I think it's going to happen for the gold market. Well, what excites me the most about gold is no one owns it. No, you're hundred sovereigns own stop, it. Stop sovereigns own it. Nobody owns it. But that's it. a great when you just said that, and it's important. So you, people say, "Well, guy just said central banks are buying." Yes, central banks are buying. That's not who we're talking about. The investing community, which does not pay any attention to gold, they're busy doing whatever they're doing in currencies, in the bond market, in equities, in crypto. But all their systems trigger buys and or sells at certain levels. Those buy side triggers have not been sort of have not been set off yet. They will be set off at a, at a certain price, but it's not here. It's significantly higher. And what's going to happen is gold's going to get to that level 
and then something's going to happen when everybody tries to get in and the gold market is not deep enough to take the amount of dollars that are going to be thrown at it. You just, you just summarized why I love it so much. And why I love it so much is exactly what you just described. If that moment happens, or yeah. should say when that moment happens, I'll it's say not stopping. When, you'll say it's if, not stopping at twenty one hundred. No, because to your point, it, it's going to be you know it's it's going to be a not, land grab for there's this. There's not the kind so of liquidity there. Do people understand these trillion dollar asset managers that allocate to certain things that really have no or very little allocation into gold, which I understand why doesn't yield anything. I can do crypto instead. What's the point? This, that, and the other. There's going to be a point here, and I hope it's not because of some geopolitical blow up. I really hope it happens in the normal course, but risk reward wise, again, and you can own the underlying, you can own the gold exploration companies if you want, right? You can own some of these things in the miners. Then I just keep it simple and kind of own the PHYS, which, you know, is kind of what, how I, so I, wa I watch those Sunday shows, you know, meet the press and you know, whatever, all those things they were taught. So people think, guy, you're just, you're out of your friggin' mind, which I am. China flew 103 warplanes over the course of a 24-hour period, not into Taiwan airspace, but sort of that space that nobody's supposed to be flying into. Clearly provocative. Clearly, again, they continue to push the envelope there. We, the United States, sent some other jackass, pardon me, out to China or to talk to the Chinese again to try to assuage and to sort of talk this stuff down. This is now the fifth person that's been sent over there in some way, shape, or form to try to tone down this rhetoric. It's not happening. So again, this continues to escalate. You mentioned some geopolitical event that you hope doesn't happen. Well, if you're paying attention, which you do, it's happening right before our eyes. And this unhealthy, unholy allegiance between China and Russia- And North Korea. And North Korea. That's not, that's, you think it's gonna sort of dissolve? Do you think President Biden's gonna go there and make, you think Unga's gonna help it in General Assembly? The answer to that is no. Listen, I don't want to make light of it. China needs something to put people to work. I mean, their unemployment rate's up. I know it's a horrible uh, you know, thing no, no, to no. say. It's, it's, uh, yes, it's a horrible thing to say. But, you know, that's how wars start. Yeah. When countries are in despair, when countries are on a, the wrong end of a cycle, the way they get themselves out is exactly what you just said. And you'll be like, okay, stop. No, well, it's historically I hope it's that's not true, true but it doesn't, does not feel good. And again, a really, real reason to be cautious on the markets, in my opinion, just be careful. Real reason, to, I think, to light gold. And a real reason that I think the Treasury's yields will end up coming down because of this is uncertainty in the market. I find it hard to see a, you know, kind of 5% 10-year or 4.5% 10-year mm -hmm. with the S&P at these levels. I just find it very hard to see. That's it. That's all Do I you have fun? Yeah, I had a great time. So you, you get all. I found stuff I want to own. I, you know, I know. But uranium, you, plutonium, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, very excited about the world. <laughs> Gold, very, very, very excited. So. Well, if Eddie, if you're watching Eddie Vedder, yeah. Dan will, where is it in Austin? Austin. Where do they play in Austin? Is there like yeah, stadiums this, or yeah, something? Yes. Seriously. Yes. Or like a bar. There's a lot of, yes, it's a big town guy. Austin is. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a, a nice town. Yes, beautiful. Actually, Austin is a nice town. It's hip. It's like very, very eclectic. cool. Very what cool do they do? North by Southwest or South something? South by there? Southwest. I'm surprised you haven't been invited to speak there yet. No. Okay. Do people speak there? Yes. It's like an all-day thing, all-week thing, South right? by Southwest. South by Southwest. We well, should do it on the tape from there. We should, you know what? Call. If somebody's watching, we can do we'll that. do it. All right. I want to thank Danny Moses. I mean, see, you come in, you have fun. Now yeah. you're all geeked up. Yep. Tweeting stuff out. If you're not following Danny on Twitter... Don't, you don't need to follow. I mean, honestly. But I appreciate that. I would tweet intermittently. But yes. When I tweet, I try to make it 
meaningful. Right. Put it that way. You looked yeah. at me when you said that because yeah. embedded in that comment is as opposed to you, Guy, right. which you just tweet out <laughs> dumb shit. By the way, before we go, what quarterback do I love more oh, than any quarterback? No, no, no. Just don't. Oh, please me. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. Yeah. Dan, Quite Dan, a comeback. Quite a comeback. Impressive. Now, people say the Dallas game, he was abysmal. He, the Dallas defensive line was in the backfield before he got the ball. Just, just be clear. He didn't stand a chance. Mika Parsons is on a different, he's from a different planet. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the Dallas game just throw nothing to do with Daniel Jones. The first half of the Arizona game was just he doesn't Giants, come back against any other Giants team other than Arizona. Arizona's horrible. Okay. But you still, yeah. it's still an NFL Great team. comeback. Great comeback. I was impressed. I was very impressed. And then, but just, I want to just say this. You watched last night, Deshaun Watson, who hadn't played in a year and a half. Played the a Browns, bit. the Browns, I think the Browns gave up five, four or five number one draft picks. Yes. Paid him a shitload of money. He looked not pedestrian. He looked awful last night. Kenny Pickett, who everybody thinks is the next coming of Terry Bradshaw. Well, awful to be clear, last if, night. If Nick Chubb doesn't get hurt, Cleveland wins that game. Okay, but, that, but I understand. But nothing to do with Deshaun Watson. No, I get it. He made some mistakes. He made some bad. So the quarterback play in this league has not been particularly good. Watch him a face. Josh, um, Allen. Josh Allen against the, He was awful. Yep. Awful. So you say to yourself, who are the quarterbacks you want in this league? Well, Mahomes is clearly one Mahomes of them. Mahomes is one. Without question. Yeah. But then you start to go down the list. Pat Daniel Jones is on that top okay. 10 list. Let's get All out right. of here okay. before we begin. That's with- it for Mark Call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. All those fancy charts, that's fact set. That's our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday. I think Carter Braxtonworth is here. I think Dan is here. You may be here. I don't know. Yeah. But we appreciate it. Thanks, folks. Yeah.